what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange on The Mesh Podcast Network, your monthly podcast for conversation about startups and small business and entrepreneurship. We're here with ideas and information to help you grow and operate your business more effectively. On today's show, our guest is Tom Rue, who is president and CEO of NC Idea. Tom and NC Idea are working to strengthen the North Carolina economy by supporting entrepreneurship throughout the state. We'll be talking with Tom about his experience in working with entrepreneurs and the challenges they face. Also, We'll have our lightning round and we'll highlight some interesting small businesses that you should be checking out on our Small Business of the Month feature at the end of the podcast. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm director of the Manufacturing Solutions Center in Conover, North Carolina, working to support U.S. manufacturers and entrepreneurs and startups. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is Executive Dean of Economic Development and Continuing Education at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. Gary, how are you doing today? Jeff, I'm doing great. Beautiful fall day. And I know you always want me to talk about my sports teams. Wake Forest is doing well, just like Carolina. But I have to brag, because remember, I grew up in my early years in Philadelphia. So how about those Phillies and Eagles? I I would think it's probably a good time to be a Philadelphia sports fan, Gary. I hope you're enjoying yourself. I'm having a great time, knowing that it'll probably come to a crashing halt this weekend. But that's okay. We had our moment of glory last week. Uh, don't don't sell yourself short. Come on. Uh, it looks like they're doing good. Gary, it could be worse. You could be like me from Cleveland, where we have the Browns, which what? we affectionately refer to as our factory of sadness. The factory of sadness. I understand. That, that would be, that's what Philadelphia is usually known for. Every well, 10 I, years, we have good teams. Well, uh, with uh, the factory of sadness comment, we need to welcome our guest, <laughs> right. Tom Rue, who, uh, as mentioned, is the CEO and president of uh, NC Idea. Tom is an entrepreneur, an investor, uh, works with the entrepreneurs. He works with governments, university, nonprofit organizations around the, the state of North Carolina, probably around the world, to embrace and support uh, entrepreneurship. Prior to joining NC Idea, Tom spent time at the Kauffman Foundation, which is uh, noted for its uh uh, supportive Entrepreneurship, where he directed the foundation's program addressing entrepreneurial education, mentoring, access to capital, and fostering entrepreneurial ecosystems. Uh, Tom, we really appreciate you joining us today. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange. No, it's my pleasure, Jeff. I'm a big fan of the work of the center and a chance to spend a couple minutes with you and Gary. I mean, pinch me. I, I must be dreaming. <laughs> Actually, we're the ones that need to pinch ourselves. We're, we, we, I, we, you know, Tom, we, we get that a lot. So uh, we, we appreciate you uh, falling in line there. Tell us a little bit about NC Idea. Tell us uh, what role it plays in uh, building the North Carolina entrepreneurial ecosystem. Thank you for that. Um, so NC Idea brought us strokes uh, as an independent private foundation. I use the modifier independent only because, as you mentioned, my alma mater, Kaufman, a lot of foundations, you know, there's a, a benefactor, right? A family, an individual, uh, some source of funding that comes then with the establishment of the organization and a commitment to donor intent. That really wasn't the case in our origin story. Um, NCIDA came into existence, complements, and by way of an equity investment that the state had 
uh, back in the day in the late 90s. Um, and then in, I think it was around uh, early 2000s, um, JD Uniphase acquired Kronos, a company that state of North Carolina had equity in. And that created the original corpus um, because that money, you know, came from ostensibly a nascent, a then nascent entrepreneurial ecosystem in the state of North Carolina. Um, my predecessor and founder of the organization, Dave Rizzo, um, was able to sequester a few of those dollars. And that became the original endowment for the organization with this mission to alleviate the burden, you know, to government by strengthening the economy of North Carolina. So our, what we do is really two prong. It's kind of charitable purpose because, you know, we are a nonprofit, a foundation, but we're also an economic develop. We function as an economic development um, organization by supporting the entrepreneurial potential of individuals across the state. Um, how we do that is through a strategic combination of both grants and programs. So we, we have programs, curricular programs where we help and accelerate uh, skill set mentoring, curricular you know work, people that are trying to build and understand um, how to successfully build companies. And then the other side of that equation is funding, which everybody kind of thinks of synonymously when you think of entrepreneurship. So we have competitive, I mean, they're, they're ostensibly business plan competitions, but they're competitive grant programs where founders from anywhere in the state can apply for funding. And, um, you know, if they prevail, it's, it's really, in most cases, the very first external funding they get and, and first validation, market validation. So we see at these nascent states, a lot of times um, by being successful in the NCIDEA grant uh, competition, that they then get the attention of other, you know, subsequent sources of funding, private equity. So it serves as a real validation in the marketplace, but more importantly, overarching to all of our programs and grants um, is a solid foundation of a commitment to equity. So we have for years um, tried to maintain this standard that no less than half of, of our time, treasure and talent should be in service to women, minority and rural founders. And um, through our, our efforts and those of our incredible partners, uh, funded partners, um, two of which are on this, this podcast, um, we're happy to say that we are hitting well above that 50% goal. We're somewhere between 70 and 80% of all of our funding and support work goes to these historically underserved um, entities and individuals in the state. So all that is to say we really exist to help citizens of North Carolina realize their full entre entrepreneurial potential and in so doing make North Carolina the best state in the nation to start and grow high impact companies. Well, well tell us a little bit about uh, your background other than suffering through Cleveland sports teams. Uh, you know, what, uh, uh, you know, what's, how, how did you get into entrepreneurship? What's fueled your passion for entrepreneurship? Uh, tell us a little bit about uh how you got to here. Sure. So I, I like to, you know, with a minimal amount of cheekiness, uh, tell my life story is I spent the first 20 years of my career 
you know, punch in my entrepreneur card. So I kind of bounced from startups to scale ups yeah. to venture backed, private equity backed. And, you know, with every one of those experience, you know, I learned a great deal. Um, I was able to provide for my family in a very, you know, decent way and, you know, provide security and, and have the firsthand experience of what the broader impact, you know, to entrepreneurship or to the community was. And one of the stories I like to share to make the point is it was one of our uh, one of my startups that I was involved in. I remember, you know, as the founding president, you know, that just meant you did everything. You were chief cook and bottle washer and also number one sales guy. So every time I'd come back from a, a sales call, I would sit in our parking lot because our office had a, a kind of a, a sequestered parking lot. It was in a rather dangerous neighborhood of Cleveland. So we had fencing, you know, with barbed wire over the top because, well, it was affordable and that's what you need when you're a startup. So it was a nice kind of way to come in every day and, and see, I would count the cars in the parking lot. And as the company grew, that parking lot started to fill and behind every one of those cars, right? There was a family story. Yeah. There, there was an employee who, through the work supporting our startup company, was being paid, and they were making a house payment and a car payment and raising a family and strengthening a community. And I think at a very early part of my entrepreneurship journey, I made the connection of kind of like societal impact beyond just like, hey, me and my partners hope we're going to have a successful company, sell it someday and make a lot of money. It's like, no, 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 this is actually you know, impacts a whole lot more than just the, you know, the few that might be holding shares in the company. And so that always was in the back of my mind. And then when we finally, um, we, we sold the company right around the time I was turning 40 and, and my wife loves it when I tell this joke. And I said, I, I had a midlife crisis, but instead of a mistress and a motorcycle, I thought maybe I could help other people, you know, experience, the, you know, what I experienced through my entrepreneurial um, journey. And so I joined a group of other people um, that had just recently exited the company to form something very similar to NC Idea, but it was in uh, Cleveland. It was called Jumpstart. And so similarly, funding entrepreneurs, providing other programming, their, their structure is a little bit different and they don't give away the money like we do. They, they actually take equity. So they're a very early stage funding source, pre-seed. But this work um, was really accelerating right around, you know, the early 2000s. And, and when I mean that, like, like nonprofits really doing this kind of portfolio of funding and assistance and ecosystem building, um, it gave way to the expression or term of venture development organization, you know, which was recognized by the government as a, you know, a legitimate thing to do, you know, as a, as a nonprofit. And um, it was so novel that it got the attention of the Kauffman Foundation, you know, which is the largest foundation in the world committed to understanding the economic benefits and implications of entrepreneurship. And so um, three years into to jumpstart, I got recruited to the Kauffman Foundation, which, you know, torture a sports metaphor here. It's like, you know, going from minor league ball to the major leagues. And frankly, Kauffman was the only thing I would have left jumpstart for. I, I loved that experience so much. And the, that 
that kind of work when you're that close to it and you're getting the dirt under your nails. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very satisfying from a personal level. But the good thing about going to a place like Kaufman, first you get 50 free IQ points that you're not entitled to just by virtue of the fact that you have Kaufman on your business card. And then it doesn't suck when people recognize, you know, you're working at a foundation with significant resources. And by significant, I mean measured in billions. Mm -hmm. So that allows you to kind of like think at a scale level much, you know, much bigger. Right. And so when we talk ecosystem building, you know, at Jumpstart, it was really Northeast Ohio, the 18 or 20 ish counties that make up that kind of corner of the state at Kaufman. You know, I had the ability to like, you know, address the United Nations and talk about, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, as a tool for peace. Right. The, the U.S. State Department sent me around to um, majority Muslim countries and kind of preach the gospel of entrepreneurship, right? Because you, you understand that it's, it's really about human empowerment, mm-hmm. right? And it transcends just start a company, raise a bunch of money, you know, have an exit, buy a new car and a big gaudy house. Again, it's about strengthening social fabric through an economic emancipation. And um, that, that was, those were a great seven years, right? I, I literally traveled the world um, you know, preaching the gospel of entrepreneurship, as I said. Um, but then after a good seven years of that, it was time to get dirt under my fingernails again. And uh, I was getting a little tired of Northeast Ohio winners. So I kind of put out a notice on my social network that, hey, I'm, I was looking for my next adventure. And a friend of mine um, who's down here in the ecosystem said, hey, you really should consider that it just so happened that um, NCIDA was looking for their second leader uh, with Dave having retired for health reasons and the timing was right. And that was March of 2016 when I came down here. Well, good deal. And, and when you say down here, NCID is located in uh, Durham, North Carolina. So that, you're, you're, the office is, yes, the office is in Durham, but we work statewide. Right. Right. So when, when, when I, when I hear you talk about preaching the gospel, I've, I've been to a few of your sermons in the past, and I know that you, uh, one of the things that you always distinguish when it comes to economic development are investments that government makes in larger companies with splashy press releases and, and perhaps the, the lack of investment that goes into entrepreneurship and startups. So why don't you make your case, would you? Just want to pick that scab? Is that what you wanted to do? Uh, <laughs> I, I figured you're going to get there sooner or later. Yeah. So um, I don't want to ruin my mood for a Friday, but I'll, <laughs> I'll give you the I'll give you the less uh, fire and brimstone version of this. You know, when you when when you hear of these what I call mega deals for mega companies, right? The veneer that is most often given by the politician at the podium, you know, with the CEO of the large publicly traded company is the promise of jobs. Right. So I think, um, you know, with the Apple announcement, it was, you know, 33,000, 3,600, you know, jobs, something to that effect here in the triangle. Uh, Vinfast, I think the promise was 7,400 jobs. Right. So 
under that promise of jobs, you know, in the case of Apple, it was just shy of a billion dollars of incentives to a global publicly traded company whose daily revenue is a billion dollars, right? Apple, at least in the last fiscal year, was over um, a billion dollars a day. And, and that's for the promise of 3,000 jobs. Now, let me take North Carolina data from the Secretary of State, Elaine Marshall's office, and say, over the last um, five years in the state of North Carolina, we have had record startups, right? Record number of startups. And those startups that by um, census and commerce filings are classified as high propensity firms, in other words, companies that are going to have the chance to create 10 or more jobs, we know from data from Kaufman, they will average um, a little over five jobs in their first year. So let's do a little bit of math. If, you know, if they have the potential to create five jobs and we've had over 500,000, because that's the number, we've had over 500,000 new firm formation startups in the state of North Carolina in the last five years, Let's see, 5,000 times 500,000, carry the one, divide the seven, square root cube. It's a lot of jobs, right, is the obnoxious point I'm trying to make here. And, and these folks are doing so without incentives, without special accommodations, without the investment of millions and millions and millions of tax dollars in infrastructure improvements and you know, um, industrial parks and everything else that we give away for the promise of two, three, four, five thousand jobs at a time. And that's my frustration. And so I'm not even so much against the buffalo hunting as it's referred to or smokestack chasing. I'm just suggesting maybe we have the discipline to have some sort of offset or comparable like a this and strategy where we say, listen, if we're willing to give $100 million to some existing firm to move here, then maybe we, we have like a, a policy or a process where we say 10%, 20% of any such deals, a cash equivalent, a budgetary equivalent has to be set aside to support startups in the state of North Carolina, right? Because these are the people, they, these are our hometown heroes. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are starting these companies that are creating 10, 20, 40, you know, and I don't have to tell either of you. I mean, Gary knows this, right? I, I cannot tell you how much I love CVCC. I mean, Catawba Valley Community College, the community colleges writ large are centers of economic development in our state and underappreciated for it. I mean, they are so terribly underappreciated for it, right? But I don't have to tell you in Hickory, you know, a startup that'll eventually create 120 jobs, that's a big deal, Yeah, right? It might not be in Research Triangle Park, but in Hickory, you know, in Lumberton, you know, anywhere out west, like pick any of the 80 tier one and tier two counties in the state, that's a big deal, Yeah, right? And again, the people that are working to start these companies, they're toiling away in obscurity. There's nobody advocating for them. There's nobody coming to them saying, hey, guess what? We have investment tax credits for you. We have 
you know, expansion capital programs for you, right? There's, I mean, there is some of that at the state. I don't mean to be um, unfair in this, but it's, it's not nearly enough, especially when compared to what we are willing to throw at companies to bribe them. I mean, entice them, you know, to move into the state. Um, and I just think that there should be more parity as an economic development practice. Well, and, and, and you can use your numbers to make the case. I don't know if you're getting any traction with any of our friends in Raleigh at this point in time. Well, you know, we're a private foundation. We're not allowed to lobby for specific policies. And so we're very careful not to. Um, I am surprised that we don't have more traction because especially in considering the rural urban divide in Raleigh, mm-hmm. You know, entrepreneurship is one of those things that would be a very, is a very effective economic tool for rural communities. You know, I don't have to tell either of you, our rural communities are struggling to, you know, redefine themselves, right? To stop the bleeding, so to speak. And some are doing very well at doing that and some are not. And so, you know, if you think of the urban-rural divide as kind of haves and have-nots, in the rural community, there's starting to become a divide of haves and have-nots. And those are, you know, the, the haves are, you know, like in the Catawba area where you lean into an asset like the community college. You have a visionary president, which you do, yep. and Dr. Henshaw. Um, you know, you can understand how to have other things to offer to make it attractive for companies to start, companies move there, employees to want to live there. And then there are there are counties, unfortunately, where there just isn't that leadership and you don't have those kind of place-based assets and there's a hollowing out that's happening. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, take it up yet one more level now at society, humanity level, when we have these big disparities, you know, and economic distress for one community, versus, you know, economic, you know, benefits in another, and they share a border, you're, you're going to have societal strife, you know, and tribalism. And I know now here's the spoiler alert, right? We're going to have, I think we're having an election this year in, in a week or two, right? And when you see this kind of political animosity and tribalism, it's, it's a lot of it. I mean, it's been my experience in all my work that it's always comes down to economics. And it's because we've allowed certain segments of the population to just be so underserved that they don't have anything vested in the communities that they live in. And when you don't have anything vested, you know, you become very susceptible to people that are going to look to exploit that. So, so let me throw this at you because I know this is something that I've heard you speak to as well. Uh, The entrepreneurial mindset and the benefit uh, you know, regardless of whether you're a startup or a student or an employee, you talk to when you, when you think of entrepreneurial entrepreneurial mindset. How do you define that, and what is the benefit that uh, people can be getting from that? Yeah, I mean, for me, an entrepreneurial mindset is a life skill. It's not a business skill. You know, because it uses the word entrepreneur, it gets co opted into this sense of business and. You know, and it, and it's certainly it's certainly applicable there. I mean, I don't want to understate the obvious, um, but it's really a life skill, right? And it's a life skill that helps people with a sense of agency and empowerment because an entrepreneurial mindset really is 
you know, what are your underlying beliefs and assumptions that guide your actions and behaviors in life, right? Do you have an external locus of control or an internal locus of control? And what that means is do you, do you look at the world as things that just happen to you? Or do you see yourself as an active participant in your world and that you can affect change, right? People with an entrepreneurial mindset don't necessarily accept things as they are. They'll look at a situation that others will just simply complain about and say, well, why do we accept that? What can we do to change that, right? They, they exercise, um, which is by current standards, pretty phenomenal amount of critical thinking, right? They don't take their agency and hand it to somebody else and say, tell me what to think, tell me what to do, you know, tell me which way is up. They say, no, I'm going to figure this out, right? And I'm going to see things for what they are. Now, some number of those people will, you know, get the spark, the, the business spark of entrepreneurship. And they'll say like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something with this. I just, you know, I, I see this thing that everybody's been bitching about. And I think I got a way we can fix that and build a company around it. Right. And I'm going to provide for my family by doing something about that. Others, though, can just be simply empowered in their life as it is. Right. They're the ones that are working at the big company, but when they're walking on the shop floor and they see something that, that has been the way we've done it for 12 years and say, well, it's not a reason to keep doing it that way, right? These are the ones that won't step over a piece of trash when there's a bin, you know, three feet away, right? These are the people that'll, you know, that are coaching the little league and being active in their churches and helping out, you know, during uh, natural disaster. That's, that's the life skill that an entrepreneurial mindset has. It's problem solving. It's critical thinking. It's perseverance, right? It's, it's understanding that I have agency. I can do things that affect my future and that of my family and my community. And I'm willing to do the effort to apply that in furtherance of humanity. Well, and, and I know it's something that uh, Gary and I have probably discussed in the in, in the past from a business perspective. Uh, and we in organizations you have all sorts of people, but the the people that uh, most people can tell you what's wrong. Most people can tell you what the problems are, and often are happy to complain about it. It's the ones that can identify those problems and then provide you with solutions and implement those solutions are the ones that you must hold close and are the ones that uh, make an organization uh, successful. So the, you know, you know, I, I've always tried to keep that in mind in that, uh, you know, in the various places I've worked, um, it's really the people that uh, not can, that, that aren't just going to identify the problem, complain about the problem. It's the ones that come to you and say, here's how we can fix it and, and let me do it, are the ones that you better hold close if you want to be successful. Well, yeah, I mean, lucky. Gallup, you know, did this for years. They, they've, for over two decades now, they do the uh, worker engagement study annually. And I, when I'm usually doing like one of my stump speeches, I, I like to update the date on that. So please... Anybody listening, go go see what it is currently. But the last time I had looked at it, they they basically have three tiers to it, and you know what they call actively engaged, uh, passive, mm -hmm. and then actively disengaged, right? And I think the last time I saw, it, only thirty percent of the of the U.S. workforce was actively engaged. Um, Fifty five percent was passive. That's your TGIFers, the eight and skate. 
right? And but the, the scariest percentage was the fifteen percent at the bottom, which they call um, actively disengaged, and and they define that as employees that show up every day and do something against the interest of their employer. I mean, you you can get angry about that, right? For like, how dare you, you know, you're being paid here and you're doing stuff that hurts the organization. I feel sorry for those people, right? I mean, how miserable do you have to be to be in that bucket and and the loss to humanity of human potential because you're doing that? You talk, both of you talked about our situation at the college. We're very, very fortunate. Both Jeff and I came out of business to go work at the community college. And and it's it's different here. The mindset is different with Dr. Henshaw. Of course, Tom, you worked with him for many years. And uh, that's what makes us able to do the things we do from an entrepreneurial standpoint as well as a business standpoint. Because he has a different mindset than many others in the same capacity. And we've been able to do great things. That's one thing that Jeff and I are very happy for. Of course, I know, again, Tom, you've worked with him for a long time. He's been successful, or you guys have been successful, you and Dr. Henshaw together. So success breeds success. So when people are saying, well, that can't be done, shouldn't be done in the community college, we're showing that it can be done and we can make an impact. Tom, Tom, when you're you're out there talking to entrepreneurs, working with entrepreneurs, uh, what you know, it, it's it's obviously there's we could probably say this anytime it's always a chaotic environment uh, a lot of change going on uh, you know one of the biggest hurdles out there in the current environment that uh, entrepreneurs have that you that you see well it's multifaceted you know and it depends upon um, a variety of things for most will say access to resources funding is a limiting factor. Um, and that's a common refrain. It's not always um, at the level or the issue that most would like to think it is or say that it is. Um, of late, and by late, I mean last several years, it's all been about talent, you know, employees, skills, aptitude, engagement, access, all of that. It's the human development component, right? Um, I'd like to say there's, you know, the, the, the three C's of economic development are human cap- capital, financial capital, and intellectual capital, right? Ideas are easy. There's a lot of them out there. The financial capital component is something that, you know, there's organizations like ours and many others. Um, I think, you know, as much as I have uh, admiration and love for the community colleges, the, the very close second are our CDFIs because I think they really function in the capital stack in a very important part where, you know, more traditional commercial banking does not tread. Um, so I think there's, there's around that, I think there are solutions and things that we're working on, but it's that human capital component that I think we could work for the next hundred years focused on nothing else than that. And we'd only be making a dent slightly, right? It's about, evangelizing around what pursuing entrepreneurial endeavors can do and how that empowers people to take initiative at self-improvement, right? That they get, again, that locus control, that entrepreneurial mindset that we talked about. If you bring those kinds of people into an organization and startups and entrepreneurs, especially when they're starting on their second or third 
you know, bite at this apple, mm-hmm. they will understand the value that that mindset is more important than a specific skill set. Because with the right person, with the right mindset, you can teach them anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's just something that I've been seeing. And, and a good friend of mine, um, Gary Shoniger at, at Eli, the entrepreneurial um, mindset, the, the creators of the Ice House program that we're using as a training program here in the state of North Carolina, he shared a quote uh, with me that I think it's from, he credits Alvin Toffler um, that said, you know, ostensibly 50 years ago, if you were illiterate, you were incapable of reading or writing. In the present society, being illiterate will mean you're incapable of unlearning something and relearning something and being able to upscale, you know, your skills and adapt to very quickly changing, you know, business dynamics. That's going to be, that's going to have the same limiting economic limiting factors being illiterate was, you know, 60 years ago. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And we see examples of that everywhere, right? I mean, I know of um, several community colleges in the state that have invested heavily over recent years in their CDL programs, right? We're short truck drivers. That's what we heard throughout COVID, right? Supply chain issues, right? We don't have enough truck drivers. So we're going to invest in our CDL programs and pump out more truck drivers. And And I'm not suggesting that's a bad idea. But I also happen to know there are over 100 companies with names like Google, Apple, Amazon, right? That is to say, very well-resourced companies that are investing billions of dollars into autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. And the first main uh, implication of that, the first big one that like society will see is going to be in commercial trucking because of the logistics of it, right? You're going point to point. It's not necessarily driving through suburbs and all that more complicated stuff, right? It's regional center to regional center. So it's only a matter of time as we ramp up truck driver supply in a temporary shortage when technology comes in and displaces the need for that, that we're going to have a large sector of our workforce that's going to once again have to reinvent themselves. Right. Well, and, and, and being prepared to do that uh, continues to be a challenge. So, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to predict the future, but you, you can't ignore it either. So that's correct. Speaking, speaking of the future, NC idea will be hosting uh, an entrepreneurship summit next month in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what will be going on at the summit and what uh, we can expect there. Yeah, you know, it's it's nice to hear you say next month because technically that's true, but it's two weeks from Monday. <laughs> okay. Uh, depends on when you listen to this. It's in November. So uh, when we, when we publish this, it, it could be, uh, it's going to be November. Yeah. It's going to be November 14th and 15th, which is the Monday, Tuesday, kicking off Global Entrepreneurship Week, which is a, a global program of my alma mater at Kaufman, um, where there will be upwards of 40 to 50,000 events all over the world to promote entrepreneurship. And um, we're going to be having about 500 of our friends uh, come together at the Benton Convention Center there in Winston-Salem. Um, and it's, it's really going to be a celebration of everybody in the state 
that is putting their shoulder to the boulder of helping people, you know, become economically independent through entrepreneurship. So our partner organizations, our ecosystem partners, our engaged grantees, our funded companies, and then there's going to be some, you know, it's a big statewide summit. So you have to have a couple national speakers in there. So we have some really uh, uh, great speakers that are going to come and talk about some of the high points that we talk about and just hopefully give everybody the the positive sense that, you know, what we're doing is not only relevant for the state of North Carolina, but it's a national exemplar. You know, you're going to hear from, you know, national speakers that are going to tell us, hey, what y'all are doing here, that's good stuff. And um, we really hope that people come, meet a bunch of other folks, get some inspiration, um, some validation for what they're already doing, hopefully some creative ideas on how they can continue to evolve and do something different or add to it. And more importantly, make friends in other parts of the state so that you understand there's a whole network here that collectively, you know, we can do more. And I think as we continue to do that and hopefully, I mean, our first one was in 2019 and then we had to do like everybody else two years in COVID time where it was all virtual. Um, but we hope to move around the state with this annually. And um, at the end of the day, it's it's really about celebrating what we're doing, why we're doing it, who we're doing it for, and uh, collectively that those efforts really drive home the fact that North Carolina is, is truly one of the best states in the country to start and grow companies. Well, I, I am looking forward to being in Winston-Salem and joining you. So uh, that, that's going to be fun. Tom, if people want to find out more about NC Idea, if they want to find out more about the, the upcoming Entrepreneurship Summit, where should they be looking? ncidea.org. It's that simple. Our website, um, and you can follow our Twitter handles. You can sign up for our newsletter. We we spam you only twice a month, um, but we routinely in our newsletter broadcast our grant announcements, our grant application cycles, our partners, you know, great successes and work that they're doing. I mean, everything that's, you know, kind of in the entrepreneurial ecosystem universe, we, we track it in our newsletter, but uh, all of that you can find at ncidea.org. Sounds good. Well, uh, you, you, you up to play our lightning round today with us? Sure. Okay. Well, uh, so this month's... Let uh, me hydrate first. Uh, take, take a quick swig of whatever you're drinking on Friday. And uh, you know, our lightning round today is sponsored by Ned Ryerson Insurance. Whole life, <laughs> auto flood, home. Ned? You can't Ned Ryerson? You're, you're familiar with Ned. You can check it out on the internet oh, if you're not. I definitely got the reference. One of my favorite movies. Okay. okay. Well played, sir. Well played. You're, you're on to us, Tom. You're quicker than most. But uh, anyway, we've got some quick questions, some quick answers. Don't overthink it. Okay. First one, what is your biggest pet peeve? People calling me, asking questions that we have answered ad nauseum on our website, through our communications, our tweets, everything. I mean, just it's it gets for me, it gets under my skin so much that I if I'm trying to be snarky, I'll I'll respond back with, shall I Google that for you? Fair enough. Okay. What is your favorite vacation spot? Ooh, um, well, it, it's two. Sorry, I'm going to split the baby, but um, I have for 40 years, even way, way before I moved down here to take this job. Every summer, we either went to the Outer Banks, and I've been doing that since the 70s, 
or we go up to northern Michigan. So right around, um, it's, it's Leland Township, just west of Traverse City. But um, those are in the heat of August here. There's no better place than northern Michigan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the rest of the year, it's great on the Outer Banks. Matter of fact, I'll be spending Christmas in the Outer Banks. Very nice. Okay. What I don't know if you're a big Halloween guy, but if you are, what would your Halloween costume be this year? So I'm not um, a big Halloween guy, uh, other than the fact that my firstborn, my son, was born on Halloween. So that's his birthday. Um, and I think that just pretty much co-ops any of my attention span around uh, Halloween. Now, that being said, let me see if I can be a good sport and play along. Um, yeah, I, I got nothing. <laughs> Sorry. All right. X on that one. What's your favorite comfort food? Barbecue. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Oh, I got to go with the Beatles. They're both awesome. I need to say that, but. No disrespect to the Rolling Stones. Right. Okay. Last question. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Uh, To give the gift of critical thinking to other people. You're, you're, You're always working, Tom. I mean, I just, it's, it's in such uh, dire need right now and the world would be a lot better place. I am H O in my humble opinion. If more people were just capable and if it was my, if it was within my superpower to bestow that on other people, I would be one of the happiest people on the planet. And and then you could uh, retire to the Outer Banks or Michigan and, and relax a bit. Our, our goal is to, you know, have a place in, well, we like our house here and, you know, I'm up in Hillsborough, Northern Orange County. Mm-hmm. We enjoy that. So I'm planning to spend most of the time here, but maybe more of my summers up there. Okay. Okay. Well, Tom, we really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, ncidea.org is where you can find out more information. And if you're, if you're listening, I suspect People can still register to attend the summit uh, coming up in just two weeks. They can. The registrations are cut off officially on November 4th. Um, the hotel block for anybody that's going to need a hotel room for it's two days, so one night, um, that has been extended, I think, through uh, middle of next week. So you're going to want to sign up fairly soon. But okay. yeah. Some of us can commute, so that's okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, well, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, Gary and I always like to give a shout out to uh, to a small business. I don't know if you want to give a shout out to a business uh, that might be interesting to you. That's sort of up to you, Tom. You got anything you want to share? Well, here's what I want to share. Um, check out our website, my Twitter feed, NC Ideas Twitter feed. But we just announced on Monday of this week the latest 15 companies to receive a $10,000 micro grant. So we just are wrapping up our fall grant cycle. We're going to live announce close to $2 million worth of funding at the summit. Um, our seed grantees, our next batch of seed uh, $50,000 grantee winners will be announced live at the summit. Um, so if you want to check out a bunch of really cool companies, you just go to our website. There's a whole company section directory. You can see the you know hundreds, several hundred companies we have funded over the years. They're all awesome. 
and deserve your attention. And we'll put out a holiday uh, gift giving guide for those that are in the kind of the CPG space as well. Excellent. All right. Very good. Gary, uh, you got a small business to share? Hard to follow Tom. We <laughs> better have 15. Come on. <laughs> well, first I'm going to say Summit is going to be in a great place in Winston-Salem. Right? Uh, home of Wake Forest. I, I got Jeff to turn away from the screen when I said that. But you're going to be uh, going down there soon, I hope, when the Wake plays Carolina. I'll watch on television, but uh, go ahead, Gary. Okay. Well, my small business month are the B-52's Bar and Grill in Newton, North Carolina. Jeff, have you been there? Not yet, but tell me more. It's, it, I think it's one you'll really like. Uh, I want to spotlight it for two reasons. Because we just finished our Hospitality Academy, the second uh, version of it, and it was very successful. And two of the students that were in uh, our academy, Sarah Brazen and Blake Stewart, were part of the B-52's staff moving up in the organization. And Tammy Muller, who ran the academy, along with some other folks, so impressed with these two young people. They're very smart, polite. Uh, it was great. They had those soft skills of coming to work on time and working extra time. I really was impressed with uh, their owner, Mitch Ball, uh, who is uh, B-52s. Uh, it started just a handful of years ago, but he's hired some really good people. And in this environment, I think that's why his business is successful. He's got folks that are really uh, customer oriented. Again, they have great food. It's a bar and grill. It's in Newton, North Carolina. And I recommend it to anybody that's in that area. All All right. food. Is he a vet? Was he he is. And that's he the was. other reason besides I was so impressed with his employees. He honors our military, uh, yeah. the fallen and the ones current. Yes. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Gary. And so, so I, I, um, I don't know if you guys have flown recently and enjoyed uh, the 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 pleasantries of going to the airport and and dealing with all those aggravations. Uh, my wife and I traveled uh, overseas this spring, and and fifteen minutes before we were supposed to board a transatlantic flight, they told us it was delayed by seven hours, and and then it might go. It wasn't a great experience, and it, it sounds like uh, flying's just not a lot of fun these days. So. I was intrigued because I, I was reading, I, I think, in the, the, the New York Times about a new startup business uh, called Napaway, which is a overnight premium bus service that goes from Washington, D.C. to Knoxville, Tennessee to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, basically, overnight, they've, they've got a premium bus that uh, has comfortable overnight Lie flat, lie flat beds to allow you to sleep on the trip, avoiding the stress and discomfort of air travel. Uh, they've got high-speed internet, uh, travel outlets, privacy shields. They depart D.C. at 10 o'clock at night. You arrive in Nashville at 8 o'clock in the morning. Depending on when you travel, the cost is somewhere between $125, $160 round trip. It takes all the aggravation of dealing with the airport out. You know, you hopefully get a good night's sleep on the bus. But I just said, hey, you know, there's, there are issues out there. There are problems out there. Here's somebody thinking about one way to solve it. So if you Google Napaway, you can read about them. And uh, just sort of a, a, a new 
concept. It's not that new a concept, but the way they're doing it with uh, their premium service and the way they've uh, adjusted their buses to make it such a comfortable, pleasant experience sounds good to me. Uh, when they get down this way, sign me up. I'm all in. So check them out. And you should also be checking out uh, uh, other podcasts that our host, The Mesh, have on tap. If you go to themesh.tv, you can see the entire network of podcasts at The Mesh hosts. So check them out. Tom, we want to thank you very much for spending some time with us today. We look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. And uh, we appreciate all the work that you're doing in North Carolina. We appreciate the uh, the support your organization provides and the encouragement that uh, that you provide. Uh, so thank you. We, we look forward to continuing to work with you. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate everything you're doing. It's a pleasure yeah. to do this work. It's a privilege, frankly. So thank you for that. I look forward to seeing you both at the summit. All right. Well, we, we appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate everyone joining us today. And we look forward to talking with you again next month. So have a good one. Take care. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.